0: Welcome to the Museum of Victory. My name is Greg Brolton Holtenton, and I built this museum over 30 years ago to record all my greatest board game victories. For instance, as you enter the East Wing, you’ll notice a striking stained glass wall of dice. That pattern is the exact pattern I completed in my perfect score game of Sagrada. That was a good one. And, on the opposite wall, is a portrait of my opponent's face when I won my first game of Twilight Struggle. I don't think they minded losing the game, but they weren't so happy about my commissioning the portrait. I admit, the exploding Russian satellite in the background was a bit much. Past the east wing you'll enter the hall of Euro games. The murals along the side depict victories in Agricola, Tricarion, and Race for the Galaxy. In each you'll see that I've imagined what my farm, galaxy, or famous magicians are doing after their victory. They're in the foreground, enjoying prosperity, while their rivals languish in the background, poor and defeated. Board games are fun. Now, certain Killjoys have claimed so-called inconsistencies in these stories. For example, Clark Wickham has alleged that diagonals don't count in a game of tack. Obviously not true, he's a cheater and a scoundrel and a sore loser, and so I've included those games here. Honestly, I don't know what Clark's problem is, all that yelling and... Well, anyway. I hope you enjoy the museum, and do please stop by the gift shop afterwards. I spent a lot of money on this and only partially regret it. Let's go!
1: Live from the Treehouse Board Game Cafe in Sheffield, UK, you're listening to the Treehouse Podcast.
0: I'm Matt Turner. I'm Patrick Lichtman, and our guests today are Treehouse co-owners and our
1: bosses, Ruth and Andy Haig. Today on the show, we fire lasers at one another in kits, willingly imprison ourselves in escape rooms, and face the horror of tiny black discs in subterra. That's all this month on the Treehouse Podcast. Hello,
0: Hello. and welcome to the Treehouse Podcast for november 2018 we're coming to the end of the year matt it i mean,
1: really is. Uh, our year's already ended what are you talking about we had a we had our uh birthday celebration
0: yeah as far as we're concerned it's a brand new year for the treehouse um and so we're happy to uh bring on to the podcast our bosses the people who made all of that possible the people in charge ruth and andy hello hello guys how are you doing
2: yeah, good. Thank you very much. It's yeah. Our first ever podcast experience, so this is all very new and exciting.
0: Uh, you, you've come in. You've been bedazzled by all of Matt's technology.
2: Sure have. It is a
3: sight to behold. There
1: are a lot of wires. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Some very fetching pink headphones.
1: Yeah, that's the this my signature monitoring device. <laughs> <laughs> In any
0: case, let's get started as always with the events that have been happening over the last month of the treehouse. There's been quite a few, so we're gonna rattle through them. Uh Ruth, why don't you start us off with social gaming?
2: Uh yeah, so this month we ha- we had uh the first in our new batch of social gaming events. Mm. Uh this replaces the across the board events that we were running before the cafe opened, and then for the first kind of six months or so. Yeah, basically the new format is more laid back. The main change is that people can just basically turn up and choose the games they want to play.
0: Yeah, we used to have a theme for across the board, like space or crime.
2: Yeah, and that was sort of there to encourage people to try new games, but it feels now like that's what the cafe does on a day-to-day basis anyway. So uh, the main thing that we want to do with social gaming is just give people a chance to meet each other. Really nice chill time on a Sunday evening. Hmm. Um, Yeah, people kind of turned up and got on with it and I had a good time.
0: And we're going to do more of those uh, one every month, is it the second Sunday of every month?
2: That is correct, yes.
0: Also, this month we had a... Our Sulcan adventures continuing the the d and d third season of our our d and d adventures., um, and we had something uh, quite special, Matt didn't we?
1: Yes, in uh, uh, in the long tradition of uh, sulcan Uh, kind of taking the D&D formats of of, uh, a load of people sat around one table and and mixing it up uh, up a little bit we included two tables in separate rooms having to affect each other's uh, game working Uh,
0: together as a a team but not being able
1: to talk to each other exactly the two parties uh, per kind of run of this Um, It kind of took on an almost mega game like uh, form where um, people were running this dungeon in their own, you know, in their own group. Mm. Uh, However, um, across the continent on the other side was a a, a almost mirror like dungeon um, that they were able to speak to each other through um, magic mirrors now. If you know the layout of the treehouse, you might know that the front two rooms uh, have a sort of window, an arched window, uh, that looks across the entryway into the other uh, the parallel front but room they almost mirror each other you uh, might exactly say. so we had um the our, our teams are our, uh, our kind of adventuring parties uh, able to draw uh, on on the windows with kind of whiteboard markers to try and give each other clues as to the, the layout of the, the dungeon to come and they had to do it backwards
0: so that the other team could read it and yep. some some people were better at backwards <laughs> writing than others
1: some people were very good at backwards writing like let's not I, I don't even want to talk about the others some people have incredible talents to b- write backwards neatly um, and everyone seemed to enjoy themselves i think so yeah it's it's a weird one for sure because um you know there, there were times when people got swapped over from one group to another there were times and suddenly they were working with people that they hadn't worked with before and it was a it was a massive change and it was a really interesting and exciting experience
2: it looked like a really creative use of the space it's uh, good to see those windows used for something other than sort of cheating in two rooms in a boom by the, time <laughs> <laughs>
0: the next up we have the quiz, Andy. We do, yes. Um, why we do we running... Why do we have a quiz?
3: <laughs> because games aren't enough. Ah, I see. <laughs> um, yeah, our quiz every month. Quiz Blaster Ben is writing the quiz for us. If you've been to um, some of the other quizzes that he's run around town, at hmm. Regather uh, and places like that, he is a very good quiz master and writes a very interesting quiz.
1: Yeah, Ben has uh, taught me through some of his uh, kind of... Uh... Uh, I know you you call them kind of mantras for 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 quiz question design his techniques yeah uh, and they are really interesting like the one where you you know you should be able to uh, kind of almost have a guess. You should want to know the answer. Yeah. Um, all that sort of stuff. Uh, he's like I've never seen quizzes done quite in quite the, the same way as Ben does them, which uh, means that you guys should come and check them out.
0: And finally, I want to talk about another D and D thing that we uh, we did separate from the Solkan events because we've just had Halloween. Um, we ran Tomb of Horrors, which, if you don't know, is a legendary D and D module uh, run or created by Gary Gygax, the creator of D and D. Uh, in which uh, he punishes his players for being too good at the game. Uh, it is just—it <laughs> was designed for that exact reason. It's—it's—it's it's, it's mean. It's cruel. There are traps around every every corner. Um, and we invited some players to come and uh, have a have a bash at it. Um, but it was really successful. People had a really good time, and um, I think it's going to sort of motivate us to to maybe offer um, more strange, out of the box adventures,
1: seasonal adventure type things. Yeah? yeah, we did miss a trick—not calling it the Treehouse of Horrors, didn't we?
0: The Treehouse of Horrors. we should have just renamed the whole cafe uh, during during the month of October. I don't know why you guys didn't uh, didn't get on that.
3: That that wouldn't have been difficult at all. No. No. Just a just a (laughs) tiny just a plank with just of
1: horrors written on it
0: in red paint.
2: Yeah, a little bit of new signage that below the sign.
3: Yeah,
0: update all the graphics on the website and things.
2: Next year. Next year.
1: <laughs> you heard it here it first, Non binding <laughs> agreement. Oh, no, that's, that's binding now. Yeah, that's just how it's going to be. I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, you, you don't joke about Halloween, <laughs> it's not a laughing matter.
0: Something else that isn't a laughing matter is the incredibly intense and serious game of cat
1: so, Yeah, <laughs> that's a good. Thanks for the segue, Patrick.
0: <laughs> You're very welcome. Strong
2: <laughs> effort.
1: <laughs> Patrick, what in the great green hells is Ket? <laughs> Thank
0: you, Matt. Well, Ket, let me tell you, Matt. Let me tell you what Ket is. <laughs> Ket is an abstract game uh, for two players. That's um, a little bit like chess insofar as you're you're moving uh, your colour pieces around the board and you're, you're trying to uh, manoeuvre yourself in such a way that you can capture uh, the opponent's most important piece, which in Ket is a, a pharaoh. Everything has a, an Egyptian theme Um Sort of. But... Uh, one
2: notable exception. Yeah.
0: Uh, the notable exception is you are not uh, trying to move your pieces on top of other pieces in, in that way. Um, instead, you're firing a laser
1: at them. Kablamo.
2: Famously a key feature of ancient Egypt. Yes, of course.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Lasers are, I mean, they were in the mummy. So... That, that pretty much settles that, yeah. yeah.
0: That's right, you're, you're firing, so you have your own laser and your opponent has their own and it's, it's, it's uh, symmetrical along the along the diagonal and you are pushing your button at the end of every turn and hoping to bounce your laser off the mirrors that your pieces contain uh, which you can kind of maneuver around to to create these uh, these paths of light eventually hoping to hit the opponent's ther- pharaoh with your own uh, with your own beam you can on your turn move a piece or you can rotate a piece and the idea is that uh, in in doing so you can um Remove other players' pieces by hitting the side that isn't mirrored, and avoid uh, ha- having the same happen to your own pieces. So you're playing offense and you're playing defense in a lot of ways. Very classic abstract setup, um, except it's got a laser <laughs> in it. Two lasers. Two lasers, and I can't emphasize this enough. This game has lasers, Matt. <laughs>
3: it's, it's not. It's not a red piece of string. <laughs> it's not it like, is. Imagine there's a laser hitting that. No. There's a laser.
1: You do a big fire that. of a laser. You can press a red button and then shout pew. Or pew. Or Kablamo. So,
2: this game has recently joined our library thanks to a donor who unfortunately we do not know the name of. Um, who kindly brought it in and gave it to us. And it sat in the staff cupboard for a little while until it caught my eye. Uh, primarily because it says this game contains two... It class, two class two lasers, lasers. yeah
0: <laughs> yeah it, i mean it said that as a
1: warning
3: yeah but you, it's like health and safety warning. you saw it as
0: an invitation
2: i sure did <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's an impressive looking board it's an impressive looking thing really it's this huge wide game board that you know doesn't fold obviously no doesn't sort of like uh, come apart really apart from the pieces on it you know it's a a big or it's bigger than a chess board you know unless you're playing like huge chess yeah. um... and, and chess
0: unless it's a gimmick kind of chess really has that grandeur uh, to it which this does that said th- this is a gimmick right
2: absolutely it, I, don't, I don't know quite how to get across the the, the sort of impact that the setup has it, it feels a bit like a sort of puzzle of maybe the crystal maze or something like that it does, it does it does it's really
3: I mean this could totally be a much smaller game made out of wooden bits which said in the rules imagine a laser shoots out of here and bounces off these bits in this way. If that imaginary laser would have hit this piece, you win.
2: Yeah. I think one thing that um, makes it so one thing that's a bit different about Cat is that, that the lasers, as well as adding this kind of comedy element, also introduced this unusual possibility for own goals.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All the time.
2: It is possible to move one of your pieces and then you have to press the laser on the, at the end of your turn, even if you realise that by doing so, you've just blown yourself up.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's really cool.
0: Which, Andy, I understand uh, was how you ended
3: a game of uh, game of Cat. Oh yeah, like the the moment where you realise you've been incredibly stupid. is I think quite fun. It was fun.
2: the best face I've ever seen Andy make during a board game. <laughs> when he pressed his laser and his pharaoh lit up, and his face just <laughs> fell.
3: <laughs> you you killed your own pharaoh. Yeah, killed so it, his
2: own pharaoh.
3: <laughs> you set up these fantastic moves. And you think if I do this, and then next turn I'll do this, and I can't not win. Yeah. So you do the first move, press the button, and you just destroyed yourself yeah um (laughs) it's a good lesson in trying to see all of the possibilities of what's going on on the board rather than just focusing on on the one strategy you're trying to bring about right
2: because the path of the laser can be really quite long and complicated so it's it's i think it's interesting in that kind of any piece on the board can like have an effect on the the sort of current winning or losing state
0: yeah it's pretty
1: easy like the board itself not that big you mean um, number of squares, kind yeah, of big.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. The grid size, um, as well as the number of pieces you have, um, isn't that huge, and so that means that means there's a lot of a uh, uh, possibility space there. Yeah. But it's not so small that things feel cramped. You still feel like there's a, a lot you can do, which brings me to sort of talking about the the design, because I think it probably would have been really quite easy for them to have said. We've got a laser idea, and we'll put a game around that's
1: it. That's your lot. You, yeah. you, this is the toy we're going to be delivering this. And it's it's year.
0: very clear that that's where they started, and they they worked backwards from that. But there is real design there.
1: Absolutely, there's
0: real thought that they've 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 put into it. They've thought about where you can uh, legally place your
1: pieces. About about having those zones is really really uh, changes the game quite a lot because you you realise you've got these. Almost like safe pieces. Yeah. That are, well, they're safe for now. Uh, but like, because you can only be, um, you can't kind of lose those if they don't get hit from the back. Mm. And those pieces are kind of up against essentially your wall no one else can get onto that kind of column
0: yeah uh, it's it's shaded it's shaded the color of your pieces and so no like the other the other player can't can't sit on them
2: i think it's a really interesting puzzle um i think it's got this like massive visual impact when it comes out the box uh anyone who's seen it being played in the cafe has had to come over and ask what "What is that
0: what is that thing that you're doing Why are you making all this
2: pew sound? I get to say it's basically laser chess, and their faces are a delight. Yeah.
1: Um, it's, um, I think, probably, although these, fa- these features aren't necessarily available in the cafe, uh, are a game best played either in the dark or with a fog machine.
3: <laughs>
1: a fog machine, if maybe
0: the other corner of the board had a fog machine and you could use that to intensify your, your, your laser, this might be the greatest game of all time. I think you
2: just invented a new expansion for it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we're going to talk about escape rooms. That's our topic of the month. Matt. Hello. What in good gravy is an escape room?
1: Escape rooms, if you don't already know what they are, is um, basically a dark room where you're locked for a minute with a blindfold uh, and then someone leaves you there uh, and you've got to kind of find your own way out.
0: (laughs) Sounds fun. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's one way of of, of looking at it. There, there is some stuff that happens in between there, right? Yeah,
1: it's a big old puzzle. It's it's they're the, the puzzle rooms more than escape rooms. Escape is this kind of dynamic kind of jargonistic phrase for it, but really, like they are rooms where a bunch of physical like puzzles interact and you get this cool experience they've always got a usually got a big old theme where you're trying to decode defuse a bomb or or run away from a serial killer or i don't know find out the cure for a horrible plague (laughs) like it's all sorts of stuff yeah Um, and there's a
2: story yeah
1: you yeah it's stories usually not Like key to the actual, you know, process. Yeah, what you're actually doing. Usually, like nice and thematic, and it kind of tells you what to look for in in terms of like the kinds of puzzles you're going to be seeing.
0: And we were um, lucky enough to do do a couple of these earlier this week, weren't we?
2: We certainly were. Had a staff party at the Great Escape.
0: That's Um, in in Sheffield here. We we went there once before. We did the um, uh, submarines one uh, last time. And then this time we did two uh, two horror-based ones. One set in a, a, a creepy orphanage where some, some dark rituals were going on. Uh, and what was the other one that you played, uh, guess?
2: We played Abducted, uh, which was an 18-rated yep. uh, experience based around an evil doctor who chops people up. Yeah, we've done a good selection of the great escape ones now. And
0: with a lot of these escape rooms, the thing that differentiates them from a, a, a puzzle, uh, kind of a game that you might play, is... Um, is the immersion, the the production design of these things, which is normally quite elaborate. It's normally quite extensive. And while the template is quite simil- similar, you, you go a room, a corridor, a room, a room, maybe a secret room, um, often the actual sort of rooms themselves are made up in a certain way. So the orphanage had a lot of little details all over the place.
1: And like, you know, stuff is hidden behind in little alcoves and you find it and you go, oh my God, I found a key, guys. Where's a lock? Uh, and then like, they go, they're everywhere. Uh, <laughs> and, and sort of someone yeah, tells you... you what kind of lock that thing is fitted to. Because, you know, you're in there with a group of maybe four of you in, in many many cases. Yeah. Um, I think four is usually said to be like the optimal number for most
3: escape rooms i think three or four is a sweet spot you can usually go in with more than that um or less than that but in terms of puzzle per person and just like the optimum experience you can have in there i think three or four. you
0: couldn't do it solo for example that just would not work no that would be
1: weird yeah you (laughs) you can do it you have to take a long time about it i think yeah (laughs) but a lot of a big part of the experience is searching right like Um, lots of stuff kind of underneath tables and and, and kind of like behind the the doors of actual cupboards and that sort of thing yeah you Um, find
0: yourself lifting up rugs never trust a rug in an escape room (laughs) if you ever see a rug you know what to do take it away yeah you don't need that rug there I
2: think one key bit that we haven't mentioned yet is the code cracking Uh, yes I mean the the classic is the four digit code on the combination lock that you need in order to get into a cupboard or get out of a room yeah open the door open the last a door panel yeah. yeah absolutely they are very much a fundamental uh, building block
1: you've got a, a series of green and red and blue dots and it, you just got to kind of count the number of those for the first
3: digit of this um, combination lock or what it's a way you kind of link the physical aspects of the room that you're in with some kind of puzzle which could work on paper as well. Although we
1: do have, you know, stuff like uh, uh, escape the the room and... uh... Unlock and exit unlock and exit that's it that's the um mm-hmm. uh, those two are like escape rooms in a box so if you are looking for a, almost, almost like a taster experience for those sort of lateral thinking type things that they can sometimes throw at you then those are really good yeah. um i've
0: been recommending a, unlock a lot recently actually because I'm, I'm really enjoying watching people sort of figuring out the the puzzles and people get really into it in the same way mm. but it isn't it isn't quite the same because you're not in the room doing that stuff
2: I think think when I first played a sort of escape room board game, I was sort of surprised by how much it manages to capture the experience of an escape room. Actually, I mean, obviously, yeah, you don't have that, like you don't have the theatrical props, um, you don't have the sort of physical aspect. But um, I think, like, I think some of the key parts of the experience, it's there's there's the time pressure. Um, the puzzle solving and the satisfaction of of the of of sort of getting to the bottom of it. Mm. Um, you don't have the the click as the combination lock opens, but um, the the people that have designed these escape room games have found some quite interesting ways round that, like yeah. how to how to create the moment of kind of discovery where you realise that your code is correct.
0: There's often an app that goes. Blah, 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 blah.
1: or you know just a a sort of like a exit has a sort of puzzle wheel that you've got to kind of put your own code in for the card and it kind of tells you whether you're right or not um and uh that's that that's really cool the um the other thing is like that that idea we spoke about of, of pulling parts from the environment they've even managed to replicate some of that not perfectly because you still have pages with bits of puzzles on them right you Mm -hmm. still have you still go like okay page one there's this this and this you know sometimes there's illustrations that you need to pull from and that sort of thing but the key is it's hard to do this without kind of spoiling anything but like often you're looking in places that you wouldn't necessarily um, uh, expect yeah, you, The you, puzzles aren't you, on yeah. the pages Or the answers aren't on the pages You're um, expecting
0: everything about the game very closely Yes uh, and, and that's the same as in an escape room Where you yeah. have a whole room that you're sort of trying to uh, uh, Manipulate and, and, and change around
2: I think done well, there's always the moment where you have to kind of shift your focus and look at something in a different way and then suddenly something emerges that you'd been looking at all the time but hadn't seen. I and
1: some, that's when someone goes, oh
2: my goodness, this thing!
0: I'll give you my yeah. favourite example, uh, and it, it's not a spoiler because I played this escape room in Athens in, in Greece. Uh, okay. So it's <laughs> relatively unlikely that you'll go and
1: do it yourself. Spoilers for people from Athens in Greece. Though. Yeah,
0: uh, I did an escape room uh, where we uh, had a, a chain with a key on the end, and we knew that we needed that key to get to a safe on the other side of the room. But between us, there was a a, a a fence, right? That that meant that we had to go around it. We had to unlock the door to that fence first. But even once we'd done that, we were trying to take the chain uh, through the door to to the safe. But this this chain was only was only so long, uh, and so we got to the uh, we got we got it through the door, and there was maybe five feet between us and, and, and the safe. We needed to find a way to extend the, the chain to, to make it longer. And we agonized over this for I'm not I'm gonna say about twenty minutes before somebody somebody realized this fence, this is a is a chain link fence, uh and has holes in it. It's solid to us because we can't walk through it. We, we can't, like, we have to go through the door.
1: And there's a designated door. I mean, why would you? I, um, so we assume we have to carry the chain
0: <laughs> through the door. Not at all true. The chain fits really easily through the fence. <laughs> and when you do that that five feet just closes because you don't have to bring it all the way around the door. Mm. That's genius and a really good way of like implementing the environment as a puzzle. Yeah.
2: I think for me, the, the escape rooms that I've done, I've definitely come away with the opinion that sort of the lower tech, the better. I think the, I mean, escape rooms are so popular now and I um, mean... I'm, I'm the fact that that they're the big business and that means that like lots of money can be spent on the setup and it creates these really kind of elaborate and very interesting, um, very interesting rooms. But mm. I, I do kind of think that sometimes going higher tech and bringing in more and more technology as part of the experience, it just in, introduces all these ways for things to go wrong. Yeah,
0: you're inviting uh, not necessarily disaster, but a uh, yeah a breakdown. Sure.
2: Like once you've got a mechanical, if you've got a mechanical puzzle in front of you, once you've worked out how it works, even if it does. And even if it's not like a finely oiled wheel you can tell when it's got stuck and you kind of know yeah. when it needs like a bit of a jiggle or whatever to, yeah, to like move it along feel whereas as that, soon yeah. as it's technology based it's all kind of black box and you don't know if you're doing it right or if it's not working properly or if you just haven't got the right answer yet yeah, yeah that
3: feeling that i think i've got it but nothing's happening so maybe i'm
2: wrong as soon as you've got uh, a bunch of people in a room who are interacting with things they've never interacted before, uh, like trying to work out all the possibilities for what they're going to do is very difficult. Uh, the one we did on Monday, uh, the the sort of unforeseen thing, there was, uh, so hopefully this isn't a spoiler, but there was a button that needed to be pressed in order to open one of the doors. Uh, once... <laughs> uh we, we we found the button we pressed it we then pressed it uh, who, the person who found the button pressed it for a second time uh which meant that the door opened as it was supposed to but then as it shut it relocked itself uh, <laughs> oh no <laughs> So then, yeah, there's this sort of extra barrier in the yeah. puzzle. I pressed we... <laughs> this button twice and
0: it didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I found this button. It opened the door. I mean, you don't count. Ca- you don't. You don't count how many times you press. The, you press the button.
0: <laughs> <laughs> on which note does anyone have anything else that they want to add on on the subject of escape rooms?
1: Try them out. I mean, yeah. there's there's no reason not to. It's a cool party. There is. I mean, yeah, we've we've
3: spoken a little bit about the potential pitfalls, but they are great fun. Yeah, Every okay. single one I've done yeah. has been great fun and it's it's different to a dry puzzle that you sit down and try and complete. I think try like come to the treehouse, try the the um
1: exits and the and, and the unlocks and like if that's the sort of thing the sort of like team based puzzle solving you'd like then then do it. You'll yeah, enjoy it.
2: absolutely. I mean, I guess one, just one final thing to say about the board game version, um, the the sort of physical escape rooms. There are people who, um, for whom the sort of physical aspect of those rooms is a barrier um one one really nice thing about the sort of escape room in a box is that you can do it set around a table and like your imagination needs to work a little bit harder but your body needs to do a lot less so <laughs> yeah. if for whatever reason you don't like the idea of actually being locked in a room uh it can be yeah a, the, a really the games nice... are much
0: more accessible
2: yeah absolutely
0: fabulous
1: all right well Speaking of being trapped in a in a confined space. in a confined dark space, ah, um, <laughs> not I quite knowing you're
2: going.
1: <laughs> not quite knowing what's going on. Uh, let's move on to our, our guest pick. I think uh, Ruth and Andy, uh,
3: and talk about Subterra. Subterra is a cooperative game for one to six people, which has you trapped in an underground cavern. Oh no! I, yeah, it's bad. I'm already invested. Because I want to get out of this cavern. Yeah, I you hate this, want to get cavern. Out of this cavern. <laughs> um, you start off just on one spot. You can't really see anything else, but you got some kind of dodgy feelings about it, I think. Okay, okay. It's probably not going to be a great time. Um, yeah, at the start, it's a square. It's a square. It's all of your guys <laughs> sitting on a square, looking into the dark.
2: Slightly ominous vibes. Yes,
3: <laughs> ominous vibes. So yeah, you're going to be um, exploring this cave that you found yourself in uh, and trying to escape. Um, you do this by um, laying tiles off a stack building this cave out, trying to find the exit. Like a lot of um, cooperative games, this works on an action point system where, on your go, your character has a number of um, actions they can do, um, doing a whole bunch of different stuff, exploring, climbing things, healing themselves, all of that kind of thing. You can always push yourself harder, which is a nice kind of link into the idea of you are trying your best to escape this cave and you would be willing to push yourself into risky situations do yourself an injury do yourself a mischief (laughs) Um, because you all have health and you can lose that health and if you lose all of your health you fall unconscious Um, yeah you're not removed there's no no player removal it's kind of almost worse because you lie there and you then have to rely on your teammates to come and save you. played my first game of this uh, yesterday uh, as a recording um, and uh, it's it it's tough it's it's kind of punishing. It's yeah it doesn't want to go easy on you it, it is trying to push you. All of the characters have different special abilities and they're all interesting special abilities they all play in different ways and are absolutely vital to you getting out they generally feel
0: feel quite powerful
3: they're very powerful but and you need to use all of them at the right time and in combination which makes i think that's a good reason why you play multiple characters for when there's not a lot of you so you Mm -hmm. can get all of these different abilities yeah
2: I would say I mean I think on the first game it does make it more um, it's harder to learn if you're playing multiple characters I think for the first game you probably want a higher player count but I do think it's a really interesting puzzle and once you've got the hang of how the characters work trying to work out how to best use them together um, is a real really good challenge.
3: I think one potential downside of playing with a large player count is you could be the person who gets trapped under a rockfall because you ran off by yourself. Yes. And someone needs to go and grab you. Yeah, that's the
0: real tension, is it? When do you to space you. up? When do you stick together?
3: Exactly. Yeah. And it, it makes for a really nice thematic experience where you have this group who are trapped down in this cave. Someone's been incapacitated by a gas leak or something and their brave compatriots need to turn away from the exit that's just in front of them and go and try and pull them to safety yeah
0: try and drag them to the uh, to it's the, a really nice idea leg, yeah.
3: but if you're the person who keeps making bad decisions and going unconscious and your <laughs> your friends keep having to Put their plans on hold to come and save you. Yeah, I don't know. They I might <laughs> not. They might not go
0: that
2: way. I think it's a really great thematic solution to the alpha player problem in cooperative games. This is something that often gets talked about in a in a cooperative game. If you've got one player who kind of thinks they know best, uh, or maybe knows the game best, uh, and tells everyone else what to do, um, that can sort of spoil the experience for everyone else. But I think in Subterra, if you are that player and you're determined to just stride off by yourself um, and and kind of get things done. Uh, there's really a very high chance that you'll come a cropper and then your teammates can all sit there, decide without you whether or not they're going to go and resuscitate you. And if they decide against it, you, <laughs> you're you now kind of a spectator for the rest yeah, of the game. Yeah, kind of. You're just as stuck your under little, a rock. As your little meeple lies on its side under a rock <laughs> fall on of <the> board.
0: <laughs> Yeah, it is a bit of a shame uh, that, you, that you can't do anything when you're unconscious, but yeah. it is fairly difficult to get unconscious. It is, yeah. Um, uh, the, the, the exertion mechanic, I think, is my favourite part of the game, because it's a temptation mechanic mm. uh, in disguise. Yeah. What it is, is every turn, if you want that extra action point, which you only get two, which is not very many at all. Mm. And if you want another one, you can do it, but there's a 50% chance that you're going to lose a lose a heart. And at the beginning of the game, you go, yeah, we can do this. No problem. We can just, uh, we can exert ourselves every turn. We've got full health. So even if we take a damage here, a damage there, it's not not a big deal. But you've only got three hearts. You've only got three health. As the game goes on, the the, the entropy of the game, if you like, is slowly losing those, those hearts. And you can heal back, but it takes up your whole turn normally. Mm. And so you want to keep moving as fast as you can so you can get through this huge stack of tiles. Yeah.
2: There's also a uh, a stack of cards that you slowly work your way through, which kind of trigger bad things happening in the cave.
0: Oh yeah, the classic bad things deck.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but if that deck runs out, there's a real bad thing at the bottom of the pile, which is that your flashlights die, which suddenly massively ramps up the risk of not just falling unconscious but actually dying yeah. on your turn. Um, so once you hit the bottom of that stack, then your chances of getting out become extremely slim.
0: Yeah, every single turn from then on, Every player rolls a die, and if they get a 1 to 3, you are devoured by the
1: darkness. Your lights sort of run out of energy, and everything's everything's nipping at you about <laughs> that point. I think um, it, that encourages you. That specific mechanic, as well as um, sort of the temptation-to-push-it mechanic, does sort of lead you into a, a really engaging turn structure, where you're encouraged to leave your teammates
3: and look that one tile further. It's always pushing you to take these risks and always pushing you to make this like fine line decision. Do I risk this health my final health yeah to do this extra kind this extra action. Yeah. Because if it goes badly then sure yeah. yeah. If it's...
2: you don't take any risk you absolutely will not get out in time yes yeah, yeah. there's always this balance always the, this pressure
1: you'll you'll get through those cards and then immediately you just like get crunched
0: it's reminiscent of burgle bros <laughs> in the way that the full map is not you know available to you as you as you go and you you reveal it over the, the course of the game and uh like in burgle bros you can step onto a tile without knowing what it does and potentially suffer the consequences unlike burgle bros the majority of tiles in subterra have the capacity to be dangerous and that's pretty much it. There aren't really those tricky tiles like in uh, Burgle Bros. You know, you've got the doors that you have to enter a, a certain way or, or uh, a strange sort of interactions that you have to do. Um, in this, a tile's either going to have the capacity to hurt you or it's not. <laughs> it's yeah.
1: like you, you roll the dice on whether or not it's immediately dangerous. Yeah. And then you roll the dice on whether or not that thing will be dangerous at the end of the round. That's really I interesting. Think-
3: Just thinking about, yeah, the experience that you have playing it, if you compare it to something like Pandemic, a more Mm well-known, famous um, cooperative game, in Pandemic you can have this fantastic cooperative collaborative experience winning the game. If you lose it, it's often annoying. You've just run out of cards or you you just have to put an extra cube on there and then you've lost.
0: It can feel like you don't, yeah, that there's unresolved
3: game to be played. Absolutely. If you lose Subterra, it's because you've just been eaten by a terrifying thing in the night yeah. and it was exciting and you were running for your life and you didn't quite make it and there's, there's, there's every game going to be more exciting there's a tension spike right Definitely. at the end there
2: yeah it's an interesting contrast actually so yeah teaching pandemic you have to tell people so there's this, just this one way that you can win and then there's all these ways that you can lose yes. whereas sub you just tell people try and escape don't die don't
0: die <laughs> if you all die you're, you're dead <laughs> people get that pretty easily yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: so uh, yeah that's sub a really fantastic cooperative game for one to six so if you have a big group who all want to work together bring them in uh, uh, try
3: some caving you probably well no you probably will die yes (laughs) but then you can play again and you
2: might not die ah (laughs) you probably won't want to go real life caving afterwards (laughs) oh no lord
0: well with all of that out of the way it just remains for us to uh, thank Ruth and Andy for coming along
2: Ah, Thanks guys for having us and for doing such an excellent Treehouse podcast
1: I'd like to thank Matt for being my co-host. I'd like to thank uh, Patrick for uh, being my (laughs) (laughs) co-host Goodbye everyone
2: Bye bye Bye.
1: You've been listening to the Treehouse podcast featuring Matt Turner Patrick Lickman, Ruth Haig and Andy Haig The producers were Matt and Patrick and the theme tune was by Custom Phase
0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speaker and nobody else